So do you ever think we'll finish singing the wonders of his love? I don't think we will. I think we'll do it throughout eternity and it'll never get boring, it'll never get old, it'll always be the height of our joy. So this morning, the liturgy that we're gonna follow, the way that we're going to go through this time of prayer, this concerted prayer effort, is in a method that I think many of you know. The A-C-T-S method, the ACTS method. And basically those four letters just stand for adoration, confession, thanksgiving, and supplication. And so what we've been doing already is adoring the one who brought his love to earth. Another way that we adore him is by sharing together the truth that is the word of God. This word of God that we will sing and celebrate, not just here on earth, but in the new heaven and in the new earth, when all things are made new, we will still be celebrating the word of God and adoring him for it. Because the Bible says that in the beginning was the word and the word was made flesh and made his dwelling among us. That is adoration for us to lift up and celebrate that truth. And so we want to continue over these next few minutes to do the impossible, and that is for me to actually preach a short sermon. <laughs> because we have many other things that we want to celebrate in our time together here this morning. But I do want to bring the Word of God to you because it's living, it's active, and we need it in our lives. As you know, we've been studying together the, book, the letter of Philippians, the church in, in Philippi that Paul wrote to from a Roman prison. He wanted to go to Rome to be a preacher. He ended up being a prisoner. He ended up, though, in Rome and in prison, writing back to this Roman colony and expressing to them a message of joy. We've been the week after week talking about the joy that that brings. Just to give you a little bit of perspective on what we're doing over the next few weeks. So today, I'll kind of wrap up this first section of Philippians. Starting next week, which is the official start of Advent, we'll be doing a series for the next several weeks on light during the Advent season. And during that time, we're pausing on Philippians. We're going to come back to Philippians in January and finish up the letter. But here's what we know so far, that Paul has begun this letter to the church at Philippi and to the church here at Northland. He writes this letter to remind us of several things. One, of how grateful he is, the gratitude that he has in his heart, both to God, but also for the people that he's writing to. They've been generous with Paul. And Paul is writing back to let them know how grateful he is to them for that. But then last weekend, Pastor Matt taught you what is really the penultimate part of this letter that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It is the place, it is the thing that he had built up to, that he was waiting to get to in describing who Jesus is. That's the thing that for most of us, for many of us, 
All of our life is focused on that, that if we can get to that place with one another where we describe the gospel to one another, that will be a place of great joy. It was for Paul. He couldn't wait to get there to tell them and to remind them of the theology of the gospel. And it's this, it's simply this. It's magnificently this, simple but not easy. In, in Philippians chapter two, where he says to them in verse five, you should have this same attitude in yourself that was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he, made, he emptied himself and taking the form of a bondservant, a doulos, and being made in likeness of men and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And therefore, God highly exalted him. And Paul can't wait to get that news to them, can't wait to get that news to you today. God highly exalted him. It's Jesus that we come here to celebrate today. And we're thankful and the thanks that we have for who he is and what he's done can hardly get through that thought. It's amazing. It's an amazing thing he's done. But then what happens with this letter is then as, as soon as Paul finishes that part of the letter, he says that word again, therefore. And you've heard the old expression that anytime you see a therefore in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what's it there for? And what it's here for is to tell us now what our response is to this magnificent message of who Jesus is. Therefore, what does this mean for you and for me? Well, it's good news and it's difficult news, depending on the perspective you have as you hear it. Because what he's saying is that in this center of gravity in this letter, where we learn of the Messiah's life, this, this Messiah has therefore given us a call on our own life. It would be akin, this part of the letter for them would have been like if someone were to come to you and say, NASA has just created a spacecraft that will go to Mars and he comes to two women to do this because no man would have the patience to get, make that kind of a journey. And so he come, uh, they come to two women and say, we've created a spacecraft that goes to Mars. Therefore, you get to go to Mars. Well, depending on whether you're prepared to be an astronaut, you're prepared to make that journey, that's gonna be news you've been waiting for all your life. You've been training and preparing for this for all of your adult life. If this is new to you and you've never anticipated this kind of news before, it's gonna scare you to death. And this, what happens next, has the potential to do either one of those things in your life today. Therefore, Paul says, here's what we are to do. What we are to do is to number one, uh, follow Jesus. So let me just read this text uh, from Philippians chapter two. You can, you'll see it on the screen. Also always encourage you to have your Bible in front of you just so you know we're not making this stuff up. But let me just read this text from Philippians two verses 12 to 18. Because here's the part of the letter now that becomes application for you and for me based on who Jesus is. 
Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Do everything without complaining or arguing. Just wanted to be sure you heard it. Um, I didn't make it up, it's right there in the Bible. So that you may become blameless and pure, children of God, without fault, in a crooked and depraved generation, in which you shine like stars in the universe as you hold out the word of life, in order that I may boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor for nothing. But even if I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith, I am glad and I rejoice with all of you. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. And so there's two significant applications from this passage, each with quite a significant challenge attached to it. Let me go to the second one first because it's the one you're gonna like. And it's shine like stars. Shine like stars as you hold out the word of life. Now, where we live, where those of us here in Central Florida live, and most of you live who are online with us, we rarely see the stars. Just wanted you to have them in front of you so you know what this looks like, what it really looks like to shine like stars. The implication here is a couple of things. One, that Paul's not saying so that you will shine like a star. Many times we think, oh, what this is about is making me a star and I'll shine in the universe and I'll accomplish all that God intended to have done here. No, it's us. It has to be us together so that you shine like stars in the universe. There's only one solo act in this play and it's Jesus. The rest of us are characters who work together in harmony with one another. You're going to see that in just a minute. And so the other thing that he's telling us to do is to shine like stars in the universe and in so doing to hold out the word of life. Some translations say hold fast to the word of life. We can't really hold the word of life out to anyone unless we're holding fast to that word until it is in us and working through us in a way that does create this picture of stars shining in the midst of the darkness. We do live, I don't have to tell you, the news has told you over the last few weeks that we live in a wicked and perverse community, culture, do we not? We know that. We see it in every part of our culture around us. And so for us to shine like stars, we must stand out in some way from that culture, not in a moralistic way or a legalistic way, but holding out 
the word of life. What does life look like in the midst of a culture like we live in? Well, Eugene Peterson said it's the church. It's the church because the church is an appointed gathering of named people in particular places, and I love this part, who practice a life of resurrection in a world in which death gets all the headlines. We are a particular people in a named place who practice resurrection in a world where death gets all the headlines. It's life that we hold out to the world. It's life itself. And we have set the bar far too low for what life really means for us, a community, as a community. Which leads me to the second application of this text for us, and it's the one you're not going to like as much. Do all things without complaining and arguing. Some of your translations say, do all things without grumbling and disputing. I've read every version of this, every one of them, and it doesn't get any better in any of them. Do all things without complaining or all things without arguing. So seriously, all things. Now, I get the part about, yeah, complaining and arguing doesn't help us, but in all things, is that really possible? How is Thanksgiving dinner for you? All things without complaining. Well, the, tur the turkey's a little dry. Not that I'm complaining. I like dry turkey. Well, there's no cranberry this year. Not that I'm complaining. I actually don't like that stuff in the first place. You, you get the point. But think about the difference this makes in, in our life together. You know, on, on uh, this week on Wednesday, on Tuesday and Wednesday, we had about 100 or, or more people out here decorating. Chris and, and his crew were a part of that. Out here decorating the foyer, you see all the beautiful things. I can tell you that there was a little bit of complaining going on during the course of the day. I was one of the people complaining, you know. And then I came back that night to study and prepare for this sermon. Do all things without complaining or arguing. It's not an easy thing to do. But here's the deal. You can't complain and be thankful at the same time. You realize that, right? You can't complain and be thankful. And if we are to be people of gratitude, we can't do both things together. Karl Barth said that joy is the simplest form of gratitude. You see how this works together in this letter. That Paul says you can't complain and be a people of joy. You can't argue with one another and be a people of gratitude. And you can't be the light in a dark world if all you're doing is complaining about the dark world. We can sit and throw stones at these people we've read about all, all day long. It won't do any good. We have to be the light in this world, not just complaining and arguing about it. We have to be the people that send the message of hope and joy. And I don't mean overlooking it. But I mean a message of hope and joy in the midst of it, that we have set the bar way too low for what it means to live a life of light. 
Because here's what happened. So since I showed you the stars, the cluster of stars, do you know what happens to a lot of stars in the universe? Especially when they begin to burn out, when they burn up all the hydrogen that's in them, you know what happens to a lot of stars? You know where they end up? They end up in a black hole. Have you ever heard this expression? It's one that we use all the time. It's become more known as an emotional uh, black hole than it has for its actual, what it is in the universe. Black holes have, were predicted actually by uh, astronomers for hundreds of years. Einstein really clarified what they are with his general theory of relativity. John Wheeler, though, in 1967 actually identified what they are and what they are it's a region of space-time that's so massive and so dense that it takes stars that are dying, that are burning out, and sucks them in because of the force of the gravity of what's left when a star burns out. It sucks them in and it sucks everything else in around it in the process. And there are black holes in our universe that are so massive that we can't even begin to comprehend how big they are. There are black holes in our lives that are so massive that we can't begin to comprehend what they are. But what happens with complaining and arguing is that we create our own relational black holes that sucks in all the light that we want so desperately for the world to see. And the thing about actual black holes is, is that not anything around a black hole in the universe can escape, not even light itself. And the part of it that just blows my mind is that when light, when the light from a star goes into a black hole, the light is not completely extinguished. It still is light, but you can't see it. In all of the universe, in no way, the black hole overwhelms the light, and the light is in there, but you can't see it. Could that be true in our own lives? That even when we have the light of Christ in us, but it's not seen by the world, because we have sucked so much negativity into our world, we've assumed that negativity and cynicism which is what will destroy us as a community. That we've assumed that's just the normal way of life. If somebody is cynical or negative about me, I must return and respond in kind. And I have to be more cynical than they are. I have to be more negative than they are. I have to make fun of the people that, I, that don't think like me. And let me tell you, that's setting the bar far too low, and Satan has a field day when we do that. We must set the bar much higher. Jesus set it extremely high. You must love your enemies. Bless those who persecute you. That's a high bar. It's a high bar we can't do without the power of the Holy Spirit working in us and through us. And during the Advent season here, we want to do this in a different way. We want to think about this in a different way. We want the light of Christ not to be black holes that are where it's so, it's so deep within us that nobody can see it. We want to be shining like stars in the universe, holding fast and holding out the word of life 
That's our call, brothers and sisters, a central verse that we'll focus on as we enter into this season of light for our church is, is going to come from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light on those living in the land of the shadow of death. A light has dawned. Would you stand and pray with me? Lord Jesus, you yourself are the light that was present with the Father at the beginning. And in the beginning, everything that was created, you created it. You split the darkness. You pierced the darkness at creation. And in the same way, when you came as a child, you pierced through the darkness, starting with some shepherds and moving to us. And in that light, you have said, it is our very life. And so Lord, would you come again this morning as we adore you as the one who is the light of the world, and we take on this high calling of being the images of that light in this world, would you remind us of what that can look like for us and through us? Lead us now in the contemplation of that kind of light, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Would you remain standing?